Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Well, for a man that calls himself an accidental entrepreneur, Brian Honan of Fortis has had quite the journey, and he joins me now to share his fascinating story. Brian, how did it all start? I suppose I was studying in University College Dublin Electronic Engineering, and I started my first job in Intel, and I was a project manager on a large large project there for Reuters, where we were supplying servers into servers into the Reuters network uh, for, over in the US. And uh, I had to as a project manager, source all the componentry going into that. One was the Microsoft software. So I ended up striking a relationship with the large distributor of Microsoft OEM product over in London, a company called Osmosis Technologies. Got on great with them. One of four or five distributors in the UK, but particularly got on well with them. To Even to the point that they, about six months into that relationship, they uh, offered me the sales manager's role. I'm, I'm a qualified electronic engineer. I was 23 at the time, so I felt that it was the right thing to do at that time because I could always go back to my engineering degree. So we gave it a whirl. Ten months into that, the company Osmosis Technologies went into administration, which is the same as examinership over here. By the grace of God, I ended up getting chat with the eventual liquidator who said, do you want to buy the Irish operation, which I duly did. So, Which then invoked the old... Uh, entrepreneurship in me that's obviously buried way down deep because I'd never ever thought about going into business on my own I did that and that's how I became an accidental entrepreneur and that's how I used that term Two years later when margins started eroding in that particular business you took a sabbatical and travelled to the US and Asia to see what was out there so what did you learn from that trip and how did it impact the business going forward? So the business, the business that I took over was predominantly in the IT space, okay, supplying componentry from board-level components up to fully built servers, PCs, laptops. Um, there was massive margin erosion in that. So when I say I took a sabbatical, what I really did was I went on, a, I suppose, a, a, a three, three, four-month business trip, really, and I went over to see what was going on out in the world. So I was in constant contact with the, with the business, but, but I knew I needed to do something and do something rapidly because... We were talking about when I when we first came into it, you're talking about gross margin now, 16, 17%, and we were down at 8, 9, and 10s. So that's why I did it. I went out to see what was going on in the world. And when I came back to the business after the four-month sabbatical, what we opened was an audiovisual department, a, a CCTV stroke security department, and, and then we consolidated into another thing called FMCG, which had been fast-moving consumer goods. So we... Divisionalized. There was four divisions immediately when I came back, and, and moved people in and spoke to them about about the direction of the business because at that time we were just entering in the world of the first plasma TVs were arriving into the country. So one of the brands, one of the brands we looked after, LG Electronics. LG Electronics were the first to make this plasma screen, and we're talking when you think back on it, a 42-inch LG plasma screen for 5,500. Euros. When you think what you can buy a 42 inch now, <laughs> I think it's down about 289 euros. Yeah, that's Crazy amazing. Stuff. Now, I do want to focus in and get a little bit deeper into that trip. When you landed yeah. there, what did you actually spend your time at on the ground there over that period? So uh, it started. It started with the manufacturers. So I, I looked at the manufacturers that I wanted to go visit, and the manufacturers we'd already dealing with, were dealing with. So LG was one that was in Korea, South Korea, and Seoul. So again. 
it was all surrounding the manufacturers. And I was just going in to see where the manufacturers were at and where their business was taking shape, what they were doing, where they were going. So the reason we were doing with LG Electronics was they supplied all of the CD-ROMs or the DVD-RWs that were going into that were going into PCs. So when you remember the old desktop PC, where you put the CDs and the DVDs, that was what LG made for us. So that was an IT component. So, of course, I go to Seoul, over to LG, and I see what they're doing. And not only they do everything, but they were real direction was large format displays, but also there was a CCTV. That's a CCTV. You asked me, how, how could you go from IT to CCTV? I went over to to LG, and one of their fabs or factories was making these digital video recorders, which is basically what everyone uses now. So we were all using video tapes and analog devices in CCTV. Now, basically, a repurposed IT PC is now being a digital video recorder. So that's, there was, there was, a, there was a, always a thread through everything that we were doing, which was IT-based. And, and, but that's what I did. So I went to the manufacturers one by one by one, saw where that, what direction they were going in, and that's why we set up those divisions, because that's where they were going. And in 2014, the recession took hold and the business went into receivership. What was the yes. outcome of that, and what impact did it have on you personally? Okay, so 2008 was the start of the recession. We were coming out the other side of it, and what happened was I was dealing with a large supermarket chain in the UK, actually, with regard to large format display, displays and, and, and a lot of turnover and not, not a lot of a lot of mar- margin. And they went into examinership or administration in the UK and gave me 10p in the pound, which ultimately left me with, with a, a large bad debt. It was about 1.8 million I was out. So, so not been insured. I had to go to talk to the manufacturers, talk to the bank. I had my ducks in a row, really. I was able to go to the bank and say, you know what, guys, if you, if you, if you look at this positively, and I know it's not a positive outcome, there's only one outcome for this business because examinership was not going to work because because examinership you have to do deals with the people that supply you and we were we weren't in a good place with them so examinership was out liquidation I didn't want it to go into liquidation from a personal level because I was signed a lot of personal guarantees and and, and so receivership for me you're basically going asking the bank can you you don't say can you put me into receivership you show them the options I asked the bank could he could they allow me take two new businesses and bring them out and, and have a sort of seamless seamless re- relationship with our customers to try and get them to pay the bills that we owe the company that's gone into receivership while still doing a bit of business. And they they agreed to a certain point on, on, on that and allowed me and, and, and supported me on that. But from a personal point of view, it's very hard, really, really hard. And, and when you see for... For entrepreneurial people and business owners, when, when you do go into uh, that situation and you do go out of business, there's very little support for you from a government perspective because, I suppose, directors don't pay p- proper peer, PRSI. So, they, they, you know what? They decide that they won't support you. But, and that's just the way it is, right? So, you're, going, you're looking at all these people and all my staff and the staff that are with me years fully entitled to their statutory redundancies, all paid for by the government. But I was left, we were left with very little money, myself, my wife and my four kids. And, and you know what? Only for, only for someone seeing, seeing the right way to do something, I wouldn't be here talking to you today, to be completely honest. 
So life after receivership was you did a deal with the bank where you were able to carve out a section of that business, OZEC, that was a yes. company that specialised in security products. And in 2017 yes. then, you partnered with RWL Security and they yes. went on afterwards to actually buy that company from you. Yes, so 2017 came about and Tommy Lyons, the ex-Dublin GAA manager, approached me. He had a security business in existing business that he had called RWL Advanced Solutions. Tommy came to me and said, we have a security business within a business. I said, you've got a CCTV business. We've now CCTV element of our business. I think that this would be really good. So we debated who by who. And then, it was this, and then he decided he was right. He'd buy me. So what he did was, on the 1st of May 2017, he bought, he bought OSEC from me and three other directors. I was 70, myself and my wife were 70% shareholders, and the three lads were 10% each. And Tommy bought us, and basically what happened then was I reinvested some of the funds that I would have got back into the business, took a 20% slug of the new business, which was a new business entered up and running called RWL Security Solutions. So Tommy scooped his security company out of RWL Advanced Solutions and put it in with my OSEC and RWL Security Solutions immediately overnight became the largest CCTV fire intruder and access control distributor in um, in Ireland with a turnover of circa 16, 17 million. And what's interesting about this entire deal was that whilst RWL Security bought OSEC, 18 months later you then bought that company RWL Security back in full. 12 months into the, into the relationship and the business was going very well. I uh, approached Tommy in June of uh, May, June time, 2018, about the prospect of doing a management buyout or a management buy-in and buying the rest of the 80%. And uh, he said, fire ahead if you can do it. You're, you're more than welcome. So we completed that deal on the 14th of December, 2018. Yeah, correct. So just after that then, you rented a meeting room in the Red Cow Hotel and you had a yeah. one-person board meeting. Tell us about that. I sat back after doing that deal with Tommy and went, why the hell did I just do that? Why have I borrowed an awful lot of money? <laughs> do I want to sit back and do, do I, what do I want to do? Do I want this to become a very, 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 very nice lifestyle business because we're talking 20 million turnover at that stage, 2 million in EBITDA. And I was like, oh, that's lovely, but that wasn't me. So I sat back and I said, you know what? I'm going to get a boardroom in the Red Cow. Sat down and I said, what do I want to do? So I sat in the room and I, I wrote furiously for two to three hours, looked at all the businesses that over, looked at the marketplace, looked at my industry and, and uh, came up with a plan, a five or six step plan that I haven't deviated from yet, but uh, basically the plan was to go and uh, approach AIB again and say, I want to do a, a buy and build in this space because it's a fragmented industry. So off I went. And I went to a gentleman who helped me do the MBO, a gentleman called Mark Brophy, who, is, uh, who was working in Allied Irish Corporate Finance. He, uh, he came, back to me and, uh, came back to me and said, all right, okay, if you want to do that, we need to get a partner. I said, what do you mean a partner? He said, well, we need... Bank won't give you all this money. We need a partner to come and share some of the burden. So I said, what does that mean? So, okay, so we need a private equity partner. So we went to see nine private equity partners early, to early 2019, three in Dublin and six in London. And uh, we ended up deciding on going with a, a, a great company called Rockpool. I acquired them in 20, December 2019, identified the target, bought a company called EasyCCTV.com and onboarded the private equity. And Brian, 
Rockpool Private Equity, as you say, invested in the business to be able to support you with your acquisitions. But apart from the money invested, how else have they added value? Well, they're buying build specialists, okay? So they're primarily into people who are looking at going and buying a building in their sector they're in. So they brought, they've brought me a lot of, they've helped me a lot in the whole process of identifying targets. I, like the hardest part about buying a business is convincing the gentleman or the, or the lady who's selling the business that, that, that they're not running Google and they don't deserve 30 times their EBITDA. That is the hardest part of that. Because there's one thing about buying a business off someone that doesn't need the money. It's the most difficult job in the world. So they helped me on that process. They, were, they made the initial introductions and the initial contact. So they've been really helpful on that front, identifying targets for me. And Brian, how do you actually negotiate your way through those deals where you do meet, let's say, the sole trader, the small business owner, where it's a lifestyle business and they are, first of all, reluctant to sell? And secondly, if they do sell, they're looking for crazy multiples. It's a process of down to a T now. It's, and unfortunately, one virtue I wasn't blessed with too much of, and that's patience. But I've learned to get some in this, in this process. But it's, it's, a, it's, a five, it's a four to five step process, really, about onboarding these people. Because initially, they'll come back and say, I'm sure I'm getting £350,000 a year out of this business. So why would I sell that? And you're, so that's the first thing you're going to you're come up with. And then obviously there's little trigger points that you're able to, like the entrepreneurial tax relief over there was 10, was 10 million, your first 10 million, and you 10% tax on the CGT elements of it. They've now put it back down to 1 million actually recently. So, and I think that's another, that's another thing that I genuinely believe the Irish government have to look at because it breeds entrepreneurs that... If, if they up the Irish limit, which is a million lifetime, that's 10%. If they put that up to four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten as well, it breeds entrepreneurship, to be completely honest. I agree with you, and I know that the Business Angel Network nationally have been calling on government to do that. And I think the only leverage they had over the last number of years in that respect was the fact that they compared it to the UK regime. But now that yeah. the UK regime have come back from 10 to 1 million to repay the costs associated with the pandemic, the chances of it happening here now are fairly slim. Slim at the moment, yeah. I was talking to Peter Vale and Grant Thornton, who advises us on tax and business level, and uh, he he was saying that they're lobbying. There's loads of people lobbying and lobbying, but again, he has the same opinion. The fact that the UK have gone from ten to one didn't doesn't do very well for us over here. No, no absolutely. It we seem to, we we also we always seem to follow what they do over there. You know. That's true. Now, Brian, it's been quite the journey, but provide us with an insight now into the business model today that you operate and the size and scale of the business. Okay, so we, we acquired another business. We, we, we entered into discussions with another business, a couple of businesses in March of 2020. And as we all know, the world fell off a cliff at the end of March in 2020, the start of the, the real pandemic, I suppose. Um, we concluded and purchased the business on the 2nd of March 2021, believe it or not. It took a full year to complete that. Now, that's because, as I said to you, everything shut down for three or four months initially. But So that was a business called Enterprise Security Distribution in the UK, a nine-branch a nine network of distribution outlets. So I suppose they, only, they say I want, you only do it once. You double the size of your business overnight, and that's what we did. We doubled the size of the business from €50 million Euros to €100 million overnight with that acquisition on the 2nd of March. We now employ just over 300 people across the UK and Ireland. At the same time, we bought another business called Reshore. 
Reshore is a, um, a CCTV monitoring business, an ARC alarm receiving centre based up in Cookstown, County Tyrone. Well, and there, we, this is the nub of our business, really, and our, 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 our solutions going forward. So us as a distributor, which is a distinctly unsexy business, which is supplying hardware and products to the trade in Ireland and the UK who install anything from CCTV, fire, intruder and access products, we identified that, that the monitoring station arena was very saturated in the UK, but also very fixed and focused on Man, installation companies, most of the monitoring station mo- stations were owned and, and ran by integrators and installers. And what that, what, what, the reason I saw this as an absolute opportunity was basically installer A has a monitoring station. He's going down the road and asking installer B, C, D and E to put their connections into their, into the other installers uh, monitoring station, which I felt was a very strange model in that like it was really inviting a cuckoo into your own nest, if you understand what I mean. Why would you yeah, put yeah. your customers into one of your one of your competitors' monitoring station? So we identified that as an opportunity because to become what we call a multi a trade only version of this. So my business opportunity and model is to grow to somewhere circa north of 250 million, with an EBITDA of somewhere about 25 million, of which one third will be recurring, which will be unheard of in the distribution distribution world and the reason i wanted that was i said i always i I drive it away is that on the first of january 2025 i want that in place which means that i have all my overhead covered for the whole year of 2025 without selling one morsel of anything and and that would be great that would make make them really comfortable in life because that's exactly where and it's that's what's driving me well ultimately what do i want to do i'd love to ipo this I'd love to float this on the Euronext. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Brian Honan of Fortis, and we wish him every success with reaching his goal of floating the company over the coming years. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.